Welcome to the Morning Ritual Podcast, meditations and conversations to set the tone for your day. I am so excited about our guest today, Carly Mountain. Carly is a psychotherapist who specializes in working with sexuality, relationships, and embodiment. She is the author of Descent and Rising, Women's Stories and the Embodiment of the Inanna Myth. Her work is so cool to me, and I'm very excited to have her on the podcast. So welcome, Carly. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's really great to be here. I'm going to begin by reading a little description from your book to paint the picture for our listeners. So listeners, here we go. When our lives fall apart, we often feel broken, ashamed, and deeply alone. But what if you knew, as you experienced this descent, that it was mapped out in a myth thousands of years old? What if, despite the uniqueness of your own life and experiences, each stage of the process was universal? The journey of descent and rising is the core initiation of the feminine, the heroine's journey, one traveled by billions of women before you. The um, Anana myth. Can we start there? Can you tell us a little bit about the myth of Anana and how you drew parallels from her story to your story and eventually a lot of other women's stories? Mm. Yeah, I would love to. So Inanna is an ancient Sumerian goddess, and we think the story, the story certainly dates back over 4,000 years, probably quite a lot longer than that. And she chooses to go to the underworld to be with her sister, Ereshkigal. And to do that, she has to go down through seven gates. And at each of these seven gates, something is taken from her by the gatekeeper. So her crown is taken, her lapis beads, and eventually all the way down at gate seven, she's take, her robe is taken. So she ends the journey or enters the underworld, let's say, completely naked. And each of these um, objects that are taken can be seen to symbolize a part of her identity, a part of how she is recognized in the world and the way that she also recognizes herself in the world. And each time an object is taken, she says, what is this? It's like she's been the queen of the upper world. People don't just snatch things from her. She's had power. She's had wealth. She's had a good life and abundance. And all of a sudden, everything's been taken from her. And the reply that comes every time is, quiet in honor. The ways of the underworld are perfect. They may not be questioned. And every time it's the same one line reply. And so for me, these laws of the underworld that may not be questioned are the natural laws and the laws that there are certain things that we cannot have, certain things that we cannot explain, certain things that we have to face in life. And there may not be a bigger explanation than that, but our mind doesn't like it. Our mind wants to have an explanation. It wants to understand. It wants to often 
transcend those natural laws and bend those natural laws. And so it's a deeply humbling process. And she enters the underworld completely naked and vulnerable. And her sister, Erish Kagal, shows her no mercy. She basically stakes in Anna and hangs her on a meat hook to rot in the underworld. So this journey is a complete annihilation of the self that we've known and an initiation into a rebirth, but we don't know at this point what that is. So there's a a very clear death moment at the bottom of this underworld journey and and a not knowing if we are going to rise, there's a real sort of moment of hopelessness in that. Um, And the next part is that meanwhile, above ground, she has a witness and the witness has been going to the sky gods for help. And the sky gods have basically said, no, she's the good daughter that's fallen from grace. So they won't help. They're not interested in getting involved. But there's one sky god who is described as being a gardener. He's empathic. He's creative. He isn't afraid of the dark feminine. And he immediately says, what is wrong? How can I help? And he creates these two creatures. He pulls the dirt from under his fingernails and creates these two little creatures and says to them, go to the underworld. Erish Kagal, the queen of the underworld, will be birthing. Empathize with her basically is what he says. And so they go to the underworld. And by this time, Erish Kagal is is moved out of her rage and she's moved into pain. She's feeling the pain of her body and her emotions. And she's, oh, my back, oh, my belly, you know, oh, my heart. And all they do is they just say, oh, your belly, oh, your heart. And after a while, she looks up and says, who are you? Moaning and groaning with me. You know, she's been exiled. She's been left alone in her pain. And she can't believe that someone is there listening and responding. And so she offers them a gift. And the gift they ask for is Inanna's corpse. And so she grants Inanna the food of life and the water of life. And Inanna then begins her rising up back into life. And that is a whole journey in and of itself. But she does rise. She is reborn. And she then has to learn how to walk the lessons of that initiation that she's just gone through back into her life. Mm. Cool, cool. And from my understanding, this is a cycle. And throughout our life, we have many descents and risings, right? Yeah, yeah. So oftentimes, I think we maybe have one or two really big ones. Um, but yes, there are many what I call concentric circles within the bigger cycles. So um, many women who have heard this story, it seems to be appealing a lot to women who are going through menopause transition, um, women who have recently become parents, and um, people who have suffered abuse and are doing trauma work that often requires a descent into the underworld. Um, it can be, you know, bankruptcy, a loss of a role, a displacement from your home, the ending of a relationship, the loss of a loved one. Those really big moments that really impact us tend to be our big descents. And then, yeah, all the life stage cycles, Mm. I think, are all 
going on within and around that. So there are lots of different ways this can play out for us in our real lives. It's definitely not just a story. It's definitely a metaphor for the life cycles we move through. Yeah. Yeah. So say someone is currently very clearly in their descent. Things are falling apart. Maybe they're met with so much doubt, lots of change. The relationships around them are changing because of it. And it's really an unsettling, uncomfortable place to be. Where would you begin? Or what advice, what wisdom would you share with someone who's currently in that stage and phase? Mm. Well, from my own experience, what I found about learning this myth was that it seemed to consecrate the experiences that I'd been having. I had been feeling like I'd been walking around in the dark and felt very, very alone. And when I discovered this story, I was like, oh, this is my life they're talking about. And yet it's this thousand, thousand year old myth. How is that possible? And there was something about the fact that someone had written this story all that time ago, and it resonated so deeply with what I was experiencing here in like 2000 and I don't know, 13, something like that, 2014. How was that possible? And there was something about that that kind of helped me trust that there was some kind of unfolding happening that was beyond my current understanding. And that even though it was painful, that there was kind of a sacred process at work. And I found that incredibly holding. And that's what seems to be happening with the people that are reading the book. They're like, why did I not know this story from when I was a kid? Because it explains so much about what we go through in life and the fact that we're really not alone. So I guess recognizing that even though your unique experience is very unique to you, that this is a very well-worn path and that somehow something deeper is unfolding seems to help. It certainly helped me. Um, and yeah, to seek out support. One of the key things the myth teaches us is that the witness is vital. So be that a friend, be that a trusted um, other, a therapist, a sacred space holder, you know, where do we reach in these moments of, of where we're being dissolved? Where do we reach for support? So I do feel like support is really, really key. Hmm. Yeah. And from, from what I gather in the myth, Nana, like you shared with us, really chooses to go into the darkness. So choosing to go there within yourself, um, yeah. I guess, is a really... I'm gathering it's a really important step is making that choice. I, you know, sometimes we can just fall into very dark places, but what if you chose to go there and, and with, you know, we talk about mindfulness so much on this podcast, the mindful awareness, like not judging it, just being open to it and stepping in with trust. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so difficult, isn't it? Because, you know, the last thing we want to do is trust the things that are happening to us that we don't want to be happening to us. It's so counterintuitive. And I think culturally, certainly in the West, we're really encouraged to keep fighting, keep going, keep doing. 
And so I guess there's a fork in the road here where, you know, we can either choose to um, medicate or, and I'm not saying all medication is bad, but sometimes it's a way of masking. Um, we can use to um, run away from and fall into old patterns to cope. And, and that to me spirals us off in one direction. I feel like Anana's choice is actually the choice to not override what's happening. It's the choice, as you say, to go towards it. Um, and that may seem harder at the time, but I feel like the spiraling off in the other direction, it's still painful. Yeah. Even if we're not it's still painful we don't get to avoid the pain ultimately so in my going towards it is ultimately it will lead to rising and that is that's the gold but it is Mm. it's a scary threshold to say yes to this is oh it's so scary I mean the last thing I want right now in this moment is for things to fall apart (laughs) you know I hold on to things in such a a way of you know it's it's all too easy to want to control things and not let things fall apart but there's beauty in that and 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 truth will always prevail what needs to happen will will eventually happen and yeah. Well, anyways, I want to um, segue a little bit into this idea of embodiment. So I gather in the rising is where you have sort of the darkness experienced in your bones, in your body. And in the rising, you come to this place of really true embodiment. Can you speak about what this term embodiment means what it looks like maybe how we can be a bit more embodied in our in our lives yeah I think what strikes me about the word embodiment and what gets kind of thrown around a lot these days is the idea of oh I want to be embodied I want to be more embodied and I get that but what I love saying is we are all embodied I think the question for like to be alive is to be in a body we are embodied but how we are embodied for me is the question. And I guess that takes so much presence because we feel what we feel in the moment we're feeling it. And so um, to be embodied for me really requires presence, presence with what's here. And I guess that's what the descent is inviting us towards. It's not inviting us towards what we think should be here. It's inviting us towards what's actually here which is why there's such a tussle inside of us because coming home to the body particularly if we have experienced trauma can be a painful experience it's not all pleasure and joy initially even though for me being embodied is a hugely pleasurable experience in many many ways so yeah to be embodied is I think a willingness to be present with what's here and alive in us in this moment which is again quite counterintuitive to a culture that's constantly pulling us towards what it wants us to be doing rather than what our body really is asking from us um And so to rise from that place requires that we begin to really listen to the body 
and to really hear what we are a yes to and what we are a no to at a physical, cellular, emotional, depthful level. And if we haven't been living from that place, which so many of us don't, it means that our relationships have to change, our working patterns might have to change. It it requires a lot of, um, yeah, a lot of ground shifting and a lot of using our voices to be more of an advocate for ourselves and what we need. I want to take a moment to thank our sponsor for today's episode, AG1. AG1 supports your gut health, immunity, energy, recovery, focus, aging, and more. I gave AG1 a try because I am all about healthy morning routines, and I've struggled with digestive health in the past. Now that I use AG1, I'm much more regular, and I have less bloating and less cravings. I drink AG1 in the morning before working out, and it makes me feel like I'm giving my body the nutrition that it craves. Since I've been drinking AG1, I also find that I have more sustained energy throughout the day and I'm able to stay focused on my work. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash the morning ritual. That's drinkag1.com slash the morning ritual. Check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. One of the reasons why I love meditation is because I feel like it stretches time. So many of us, me included, wish that we had more time in the day. We can feel like we don't have enough time to do all the things we want to do. And one of the best ways to manage our time is to get super clear on what's truly important and make that a priority. I've found therapy to be a super helpful way to define my values and set boundaries. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, super convenient, and you get matched with a therapist to meet your specific wants and needs. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash morning ritual to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash morning ritual. The morning ritual is sponsored by Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meals make eating healthier so much easier. These meals are chef-made, they're dietitian approved and delivered right to your door. With Factor, you have over 35 different options a week to choose from. There's no prep, there's no mess. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Just head to factormeals.com TMR50 and use code TMR50 to get 50% off. That's code TMR50 at factormeals.com TMR50 to get 50% off. The Morning Ritual is sponsored by Recess Mood. One healthier alternative to alcohol after a stressful day is Recess Mood. So Recess Mood is a sparkling water and it's infused with functional ingredients like magnesium and stress balancing adaptogens. So you can relax without the alcohol 
or The Hangover. Podcast listeners get 15% off the Recess Mood Sampler Pack at takearecess.com slash TMR. Recess Mood is made with real fruit, and it comes in four delicious flavors, like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. With only 20 calories and no added sugar, it's a guilt-free way to unwind. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com slash TMR and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. Now back to my conversation with Carly. So what I'm hearing is being embodied isn't always comfortable. Mm. Yeah. And I like what you said. We need to, you know, use our, our voice and speak up, speak up for what we need, speak up for what we want. And as a woman, I find that to be pretty difficult sometimes. It's getting easier and easier as I get older and older, but... I, you know, was taught as a young girl to be pretty and kind. And if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all and Mm. hold back. And so it is um, definitely something I'm navigating is that that courage to speak up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is what's so interesting about Descent Journeys is that I think the only embodied reality is the one that we currently are aware of. And so many of our bodily stories are held in the underworld of our awareness. So they're subconscious. And as you're saying, you know, don't say anything unless you've got something kind to say. Those stories, those messages get heard, don't they, by the body as well as by our thoughts. And we embody that, like you say, holding it down. And I think the descent leads us to realize all the places we've been holding down various things inside of us for a lifetime, possibly for lifetimes, because these patterns tend to be familial and intergenerational patterns and also societal oppression. Like you say, as a woman, all of the the ways that women's voices have been oppressed is they're in our bodies. And so yeah, to go and work with the trauma and oppression and the patterns and the messages and the stories that are hidden inside the body to uncover the body's wisdom and then begin to be guided by it. It is a huge journey, isn't it? And it's a const- continuous journey. It's like we're never, we're never done with that. Well, I know that I'm not anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and this makes me think about... Um, sensuality and sexuality as a woman I feel like there's a lot of shame around Mm. sensuality and like sort of women and female identified people are often taught that you know their sexuality should be hidden or tamed or um, you know only expressed in a dark closed room (laughs) and I'm curious like how you would work with people trying to overcome that maybe like advice to I don't know work through being brave and owning that and that feminine quality 
Yes. So in my work as a sex therapist, I sit with women with this all of the time because there's been such a denigration and vilification, I would even say, of female sexuality. And it's so confusing in our culture because there is sexes everywhere and particular, particularly female sexuality is sold. It sells everything. And yet when a woman really owns her sexuality, she's so often criticized and um, cut down for it. So I think recognizing that is part of your reality is the first step. Um, and then feeling what you feel about it, you know, feeling the shame, feeling the grief around it. I know that certainly for myself working with this, I uncovered a huge raft of grief around the ways that I had um, been oppressed sexually, but also the ways that I had colluded with that oppression on some level as a survival strategy. Um, grief and then um, feeling the embodied, the way that it's been embodied in you. So for some people, so for example, myself, I had a freeze around my sexuality that took a really long time to even feel. And then once I felt that freeze, it was like, oh, well, how do I move with that? And it's taken so many years to begin to learn the shape of the freeze, notice when it's happened to me, bring voice to what hasn't been spoken. That seems to be always the really key thing allow the emotion, allow the rage, allow whatever else is there, and then it begins to thaw. So I think there can be a lot of freeze in our system around our sexuality, um, a lot of disowned anger about the things that we've experienced. Um, so really the descent is all about uncovering what's there and that's going to be different for each woman so it's really hard to kind of give a one size fits all and that's the beauty of it is that your unique unfolding with this will be unique to you um but to have um to have a witness in friends community perhaps a therapist can be just so nourishing because I think that we don't just spin the stories that have been spun in the culture are embodied in us and therefore it takes more than just us to embody a new narrative we need some solidarity we need community to really ground us in some new narratives so i feel like it's really important that we do this work together be that having this conversation going on a retreat meeting up with friends whatever however it is you feel inspired to do that hmm yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And um, I think it was another interview I had for this podcast. We were talking about the importance of being witnessed and witness is like withness, mm -hmm. being with someone, being observed and the, just the power in that. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Um, reminder and another thing i've heard you speak about is living within our sort of window of tolerance and i'm particularly interested in that because sometimes i can sway from sort of being 
hypoarousal or hyperarousal being, you know, go, 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 or the opposite, very like burnt out and how we can actually live in between that space and, and in that balance, in that window of tolerance is where we can really experience pleasure and aliveness and connectedness and yeah, I'm curious to hear more from you about what this window of tolerance is, how we can um, access it and be in it more often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a great, great question. Um, so I feel like that hyper hypo pattern that you're talking about is so um, is such a, a great coping strategy in some ways because we go hyper in order to hit that edge where we kind of feel like we've got the permission to come back down to ground. And so a big question for me in working with this, with clients and in my own life is what what stories are playing out in me that are telling me, that have given me the message that I have to work so hard that I hurt myself before I will rest. And I think this is the upper world, underworld split. So Inanna is the upper world queen. She's up there. She's doing it. She's in the sky. She is the hyper, if you like. And Erish Kagal is like the underworld. She's exiled. She's underground. She's hit the ground and she's stayed down there. She's been sent down there. And I think this sort of signifies so much about culturally our our relationship with resting and our relationship with the earth that we we override so much of our body's needs and our instinctual needs and we're in this hyper place so what we need to do is come home to the body is to really listen to the body and this is where that yes and that no I was speaking to earlier comes in because the reason we end up going to hyper is often because we are not saying the no that our body is saying. We're not listening. We're saying, yes, I can help you with that. Yeah, sure, I can meet that deadline. Yeah, sure, I can keep going. Yeah, I can hold it all. I can keep doing it all. La, 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 la. Crash. And so where is our no? And as Inanna emerges from the underworld, one of the key things is that she has to say, no, I won't sacrifice this and this. And yes, I will sacrifice this and this. So I guess the question for me with the window of tolerance is, how can we become more and more and more attuned to what do I have the capacity for right now in this moment? Not what I think I should have the capacity for. What do I actually have the capacity for in this moment? And the thing that really helps me with that is slowing down. So one of my favorite phrases that um, I now use is when somebody asks me to do something, I've learned to pause (laughs) and often say, can I get back to you if I can't feel whether I'm a yes or a no in that moment? Um, And that just gives me a chance to actually check in with my body. And a red flag for me, for anyone's listening, is if I feel a really big urgency to respond to something, be that an email, a request, I know that I'm working out of my window of tolerance already. Because the urgency to respond is a hyper response in and of itself. 
So the more urgent it feels nowadays, the more I try to pause and not respond immediately to just see what's going on with me. So it's kind of cottoning onto that urgency that can come up in us that might seem like enthusiasm sometimes or a truth. And actually, it's usually a sign that we've gone into hyper and that we need to slow down. Um, and if I say no to things, what I notice is I start to create a better boundary around myself that allows me to be in my window of tolerance and the crash happens less. So I think that that listening in is and slowing down is just so key to finding that that middle ground that we sadly don't live in enough. Mm. That is huge and really, really resonates with me. And I'm going to steal that anytime there's a request, whether it's work, personal, friends, family. Can I get back to you? Because I, I, I can certainly be feel that urgency to respond. And yes, I'm a yes girl. Yes, and figure it out. Yes, and figure it out. And that has gotten me places, but it's it's not serving me anymore. And needing to kind of pause and and I'll get back to you because when I find myself in moments of serious stress and overwhelm, it's usually because I said yes to too many things <laughs> and I don't know how to balance it. So then I'm not doing, I'm not showing up in the way I want to show up. Exactly. Yeah. And it's great because it comes out of a desire for life. And yet I think the shadow side of that is the burnout, isn't it? So um, yeah, it's really important to slow down so that we can actually really enjoy the things that we're a yes to, mm. like really. Um, but it, yeah, it takes practice to slow down, doesn't it? Cause I too, I'm, I'm like, yes, I want to do that. Yes. And yeah, I really resonate with what you're saying. Mm. Mm. Gosh, well, Carly, I want to thank you so, so much for coming on. And I like to end my interview episodes with a little fun, rapid fire question just to, you know, get to know you a tiny bit more. Um, so you ready? I am. <laughs> okay. First question. What do you do for fun? Um, hang out with my kids and um listen go to go to as much live music as I can <laughs> oh nice okay and what's your favorite way to start the day um walking my dog oh what kind of dog do you have I have a cocker spaniel she's lovely <laughs> cute cute what gives you energy hmm good food sunshine hanging out with my husband and really inspiring creative women around me <laughs> yes cool okay final question rather it's an ask <laughs> can you can you share with us an intention to set the tone for maybe the rest of the day or the rest of your week yeah, I would love to. And actually, if it's okay with you, I'd really like to share a poem to be able to do that. It's very, very short. And it relates very much to what we've been talking about. And I said to my body, 
softly. I want to be your friend. It took a long breath and then replied, I have been waiting for this my whole life. And that's by Naira Wahid. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for coming on to the podcast. And I'll definitely include your website and your info in the show notes below so people can find you and a link to your gorgeous book, Descent and Rising. And yeah, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been great to chat to you. And we'll end our episode the way we always do with a full breath in. A complete breath out and have a lovely day.